This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If you're a Mets fan, all you want for Christmas is a 2022 season. Once it finally gears up, there's a new manager with a heck of a resume. Two of the top five starting pitchers in the sport in one rotation. You got a home run derby champ at first, the most exciting all-around outfielder the team has had in maybe 20 years, an overflowing Christmas stocking, but for now, it's all stuffed in the back of the closet as we wait for the lockout to end. How do we do that? With a snappy little theme song and love in our heart. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scoodly down. Chan Ho Ho Ho. Or if you prefer Ho Ho Hojo. Now, either way, happiest of holidays to you. Welcome to the Just After Christmas edition of Mets in the Morning. This is the opposite of Say My Name from Destiny's Child. Sorry, Beyonce, who I'm sure is listening currently. Glad you're listening, but until the lockout is resolved, yeah, I'm not really supposed to say names. I'm not supposed to name names. Uh, Mention actual players on the actual 40-man roster. It reminds me of the old uh, handheld MLB video game that I had back in the mid-90s, where not every player was down with licensing his name for use, which is why if you played as the Orioles, the starting shortstop was listed not as Ripken, but Neckper. Ripken spelled backwards. I won't subject you to that. Uh, I was thinking about it, but no. Although, I mean, back in the day, it would have been fun to say Lee Rad Yiberwartz instead of Daryl Strawberry, just for example. But we will soldier forward, talking about the Mets position by position. We'll stop at second base today. Did I mention my name is Josh Lewin? I'm sorry if I forgot to do that. This is called Mets in the Morning. We are introducing you to, uh, well, at second base, look, I mean, there's a guy who is supposed to be in the mix at second base by now, but it looks like he'll be an outfielder after all, which is his preference. Uh, And I'm not talking about that guy that rhymes with Clef McWheel. I'm talking about a prospect in the organization by the name of Carlos Cortez, and we can say that name since he's not on the 40-man roster. But he is a very interesting minor league piece. Want to introduce you to him during this podcast today. He's a guy who's ambidextrous, but chooses not to switch hit. Before we get to that interview with Carlos, a thought from the esteemed Peter Gammons about the managerial hire that I wanted to share with you because I thought his piece for The Athletic was really, really informative. Peter Gammons points out that when Buck Showalter took over the Yankees back in 92, it was so long ago, the Yankees had just been through three straight losing seasons, and a couple years later, they had the best record in the American League when the work stoppage ended the 94 season. When play resumed in 95, they got to a fifth and final game of the division series. They lost on the Edgar Martinez double at the Kingdome, and basically for that, Buck Showalter was fired. And the Yankees the next season began their run of four world championships in five years under new management, namely Joe Torre. When Buck then took over the Arizona Diamondbacks in 96, it was his team to build right from the bottom up. And by their third season, 
they had won 100 games. But he was let go after the 2000 season and then watches the New York team that he had helped build beat the Arizona team that he had helped to build. Now, that was the seven-game World Series. When he took over the Texas Rangers in 2003, that team had just lost 270 games in three years, so 90 a year. But then the Rangers immediately had a winning 2003. They traded A-Rod, and after Buck left following the 06 season, within a couple years, those Texas teams began a five-year winning run, including two trips to the World Series. Finally, most recently... When you're looking at Buck backstory here, he took over a 32-73 and Baltimore team in the middle of 2010. That franchise hadn't had a winning record since 1997. So as Peter Gammon said in his piece, he moved the furniture around, figured it out enough to get the Orioles a winning record the rest of the way that year, having started 32-73. and And by the next year, his Orioles swept the Tigers in the playoffs despite his opponents starting three future Cy Young Award winners in that ALDS. Uh, against Detroit. So now that brings us to the Mets, who are certainly not those 92 Yankees, whose best starting pitcher was Melito Perez. Buck's got a $265 million roster to Shepard here, and he's bent on eliminating the whining and excuse-mongering that's kind of dotted the clubhouse, if not permeated the clubhouse, for a lot of years. And I think that personally, my opinion, I think he's just the guy to do it. So let's get back to our look at Mets' second baseman. We get to look back and look ahead because, again, due to the lockout, the the present is pretty much frozen. Uh, I mentioned that Zeph McSqueal guy, another option for this coming year that rhymes with Eduardo Crescobar. Maybe even an old standby we'll call Robinson Cayes. Those three would certainly be in the mix for 2022. And the gold standard they'd be shooting for at second base, best season ever by a Mets second baseman, that is up for some debate. If you go by wins above replacement— This has been kind of a Mojave desert of production ever since Edgardo Alfonso. Fonzie checked in with wars of six routinely at the turn of the century, six wins above replacement value. Since then, the best the Mets have been at second base is Daniel Murphy with a couple of twos. Some big batting average seasons and power seasons, as you might recall from Murph, but also some base running and fielding misadventures, shall we say. Terry Collins used to say we ought to put a bell around (laughs) Daniel Murphy's neck. Carlos Baerga was a veteran second baseman before Alfonso, and he was always a six-war guy in Cleveland, but he was a zero-war guy as a Met. That happened with Robbie Alomar, too. He was a seven or eight guy in Toronto or Baltimore as a Met, a 0.2. Jeff Kent, Wally Backman gave you some twos and threes. Tim Tuffle was a two or a three. Before that, uh, you had Doug Flynn was a, was a one. Felix Mian was a two. Ken Boswell had been a one-per-year guy. Ron Hunt, a two-per-year guy. The Mets' first ever second baseman, you historians might remember, was Longview, Texas native Charlie Neal. He actually had a pretty solid 260 batting average at expansion season of 62. He had 11 home runs, close to 60 runs batted in. But point is, second base has never been a position of stability for the Mets. Every other position, someone's had at least six opening days as a Met. But at second base, only Wally Backman even got to five. It's funny because even now... This is the one position we just don't have a really firm handle on. Could be the incumbent, that squirrel character. Could be the former Yankee and Mariner who wears 24 and once had the three-home run game at City Field. Could be the recently acquired former Diamondback and Brewer who's ticketed for third base but could go to second if the Mets sign the plum free agent with the initials KB. Not Kevin Burkhart. But 
that longtime Chicago Cub who once made a World Series clinching pickup and throw across the diamond at third base. Down the road, it was thought that maybe Carlos Cortez could be a Met second baseman of the future. It's a guy I'm going to introduce you to in a minute here. He's not a second baseman by trade, but the Mets tried him there a year before last in the minors. It really didn't take. And you'll hear in his words in a moment, he sees himself as an outfielder. And we have to hope that he'll still be in the Mets organization after the Rule 5 draft because he's eligible to be plucked away by somebody else. He's older than a lot of the other top prospects in the system. The Florida native is already 24. That's kind of strike one. Strike two, I hate to say this because I'm a guy who's about five foot five. The guy is small. He's only 5'7", but he's a stocky, muscular 195 pounds, built very solidly. He hit around 260 at AA this past year. 42 extra base hits, only one stolen base. Now, I guess I see a little Wally Backman in him if he does end up at second base, but let's face it, he's got some tall odds as a short guy if he wants to play left field instead. Let's get you to the interview, which we did at the start of the Arizona Fall League season down in Phoenix in October. And we'll start it up, coming up right here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Carlos Cortez is with us and a really interesting guy to watch play. 24 years old now, uh, broke out a little bit for AA this past year at Binghamton. What I'm most interested in is how you're liking second base, because they seem to think that that's your thing. Do you think that's your thing? Um, I don't think so anymore. I think I'm an outfielder now, and I played outfield all year this year. And um, I uh, I tried it out. It was all right. Struggled a little bit. Did well in Brooklyn, but struggled in St. Lucie. You're happy you're in the outfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a lot better out there than I was <laughs> in the infield. I'll say that. Did you, I mean, I hope you didn't lose confidence, though, because the, the reports that, that I'm looking at say, you know what, this guy actually has range. He's super athletic. So kind of like it's an extra club in your golf bag right if they need you to do it you know you can do it but the comfort it sounds like is in the outfield yeah the comfort's in the outfield for sure but um yeah I'll, I'll do anything a team needs me to help win games honestly so yeah well and you're such a handy guy for so many reasons but i think the biggest thing people need to know about you is that lefty or righty not just you know hitting but throwing, how, how does one become ambidextrous? How is that even possible? Um, well, when you got a crazy dad like mine, um, <laughs> he'll, he'll kind of force that upon you. And then, um, yeah, so naturally I was left-handed growing up. And then my dad's like, hey, look, you're going to be short and slow. Like, let's try and, like, play, like, second or something. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like, didn't really think anything of it. Started throwing righty and hated every second of it at first it was so hard and it's it's still one of the hardest things to do it's very tedious and tiring um but yeah just yelling at me saying like you got to do this do it do it do it and then eventually like i got good at it got to high school started playing multiple positions and um kind of blessed i'm not kind of i am blessed because i um 
I have him and I have that ability to do that. And, yeah. You know? Yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing. People can put in five, six, seven thousand hours doing it and yeah. still not really get great at it. So there must be some natural inclination in there. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a little messed up. So I'm naturally, all my athletic ability is left-handed. Okay. But all my motor skills are pretty much right-handed. Do so you brush I'm, your teeth right-handed? Right. I brush my teeth left-handed. Okay. Do you write right-handed? Everything else is right-handed. The only thing I do is brush my teeth left-handed. It's yeah, it's hard to explain, but it's I write everything, so yeah. But it's cool though because what I mean, it's one of those things that I think sets you apart because again, you know, this is something that people can't really even fathom. You know, it's just but but you've got it. So hitting wise, is there a difference one side to the other? I only hit left-handed. But I mean, did you try to hit right-handed? No, I was always my dad was always against it because he's like. Um, the numbers say that you're going to hit bad on one side, so might as well just stay on one side. Get really good at that. Try and hit the lefty on lefty and try and get as good as that as you can at that hmm. instead of completely switching sides. And, you know, you know, some guys are good at it. I mean, but there's not too many really good switch hitters, if you think about it. Yeah, you know? no, it's true. Yeah. I mean, there's only a handful that yeah. have ever won a batting title. So. Right, exactly. Um, now, kind of speaking of that, uh, Edgardo Alfonso is a guy that you got to learn from mm-hmm. uh, in many ways, not just how to play the infield slash outfield, because he was good at that, yeah. but just kind of, I would think, how to conduct yourself. I mean, this is a guy with a lot of skins on the wall. He's a Mets hero. What was it like getting to work with Edgar Alfonso? Uh, Alfonso was the man. Um, getting my first experience in pro ball, he was... You know, he was there. Um, I was really, really trying to learn second base, like kind of recreate myself. And he was there every day talking to me, just giving me tips. Like, I'm pretty sure my first game in Brooklyn, I get a ball. And, all right, Manny gets a ball. And we're about to turn two, and he fires one at me. And I just, like, I'm my reaction was so slow because I stepped forward and the ball just bit me, <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, I don't know. Like, I'm sorry, but I got I don't know what to do there." And he just explained to me, "Like, look, you could you can stay on the back side of the base because I had a decent enough arm to where I can come from the back of the base instead of coming across because I always learned to come across." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Look, you can just stay back and stuff like that." And then he just he helped me a lot there and. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate cool. that. Yeah, and a guy like Tim Tuffle, I would think, is helpful oh, too. Yeah, I love Tim. He's he's the man, and he's he's a freaking stud. Yeah. yeah, he's he's awesome. Well, you talk about skins on the wall. I mean, this is a guy that you know, kind of a Mets hero in, in many ways. So, what was your knowledge of the Mets when you got drafted by them? I mean, where you grew up, it's not like that was you know Mets heaven or anything like that. So, yeah. how quickly did you kind of get up to speed with who were the Mets? Um. It kind of took me a little, I think maybe like that, that first initial spring training to kind of understand like um, what it was, what it is, you know, because I just, you know, you don't, you don't grow up in that environment of like a big, big market teams like live close to the Rays and you see the stadium. It's just like, uh, whatever. Right, right. And you go to City Field and you're like, whoa, dude, like this is. That's legit now. Yeah, right? this is like. <laughs> when they talk about the markets like this is this is the market you know this is the market you want to play for yeah and stuff like that and it's it, it's, it's eye-opening really you got to play though for those that don't know you, you went to lake Howell high school winter park florida near orlando and i mean that that's a great athletic powerhouse i mean yeah. bunch of nfl guys yeah. davy martinez the washington manager um you know I mean, there's a lot of good athletes that have come out of there how much 
do you think you got better at your craft because you were challenged being around good athletes in that area? Yeah, um, every Friday night you in, in college you're getting a guy or high school, sorry, you're getting a guy. I mean, he's he's the J. He's probably going D one. Yeah. Every Friday night you got you got some guy that is is going to be a pretty good player one day, and and I think that that helped in playing on the travel ball teams in that area. <clears throat> excuse me, in that area had all legit players. I mean, within that what fifty mile radius of like Tampa of all of Central Florida, it's ridiculous yeah, talent and it's it really unbelievable is. and it's yeah. I mean there's there's a lot of professional baseball players from there right now that I know of and it's 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 incredible the talent. And then for college and I'm curious about how you ended up it, it South Carolina, it's a great program. I mean obviously wonderful programs kicked out a lot of really good big leaguers. But you're in Florida, and, you know, there's a lot of good college baseball in Florida. So yeah. what got you to SC? Um, so I watched the 2010 National Championship game. Okay. And watched Whit Maryfield walk that game off, and I was just like, I have to go here. Like, there wow. was no... There was no other place that I wanted to go to. I, originally, I wanted to go to Miami. I grew up a Miami fan. And then... And I saw that. I was like, I got to go there. I went to a camp. I was a freshman. And the place was just, like, out of this world to me. And I huh. was like, I, I, there's no other place that I want to go to. And then played well enough um, my early years in high school. Did well enough, I guess. And then got offered as a, I don't know when, sophomore, junior, maybe. But, yeah, I... I told everybody else that, like, I'm going to South Carolina. And when they offer me, like, I will accept the offer. Boom, just right away. Yeah, yeah. I, I told a few schools that, and they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's such a ringing endorsement, I mean, yeah. because, again, I think you would have had the, the pick of the litter wherever you wanted to go. Um, and it's funny because for those that don't know, Columbia, South Carolina, the Mets have a, a single-A team. You know, the, the Fireflies are there and all that. So it's, it's kind of weirdly full circle in the yeah. Mets organization, right? Yeah, so... Um, I don't even think they're. I don't think they're affiliated anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah but th- that stadium's unbelievable too. But yeah, I, there's no place that I wanted to go to college, and I don't regret any decision. So going forward now, are you, Carlos? Say, are you a, a goal setter? I mean, do you say to yourself, okay, this year I'm going to hit for this average, this many home runs, this many steals, or do you just kind of roll the ball out and say, okay, whatever happens? Um, yeah, I think. I think you'd be crazy to say that you don't set any goals, but um, yeah, I, tr- I set goals, but it's just like, uh, like I didn't get that, or like, it just I'm just trying to win ball games and just play my best, you know, play hard and yeah. try not to like, because the goal can goals can kind of set you aside or set your your sights aside, you know, like. Like you start struggling, you're just thinking about goals, goals, goals all the time. Instead yeah. of like, look, man, just hit the ball hard, and like it'll just take care of itself. So, yeah, I try. I try to live by that too. All right, many thanks to Orlando, Florida's very own Carlos Cortez. Not Carlos Correa. That's different. Look for Carlos Cortez at AAA Syracuse in 2022 if he doesn't get claimed in the Rule Five draft. Okay, this is big. Here towards the end of the podcast, normally we'd fire up the theme music, introduce you to the Mets in the Morning House Band. As you can hear, we have veered slightly off course instead in honor of all the names we are allowed to say. And as a tribute slash ripoff 
To Mets musical hero one William Joel of Long Island, I will now attempt this nonsense with an actual straight face. Richie Hebner, Lucas Duda, Jeff D'Amico, Paula Duca, Scott Rice, Brooke Fordyce, Jose Lobatone. Lenny Dykstra played for Philly, oh but never Lee Mazzilli, Nolan Ryan, Barry Lyons, Bartolo Colon. This is hard, man. Probably should have stuck with the house band thing. Lima Time and Danny Heap, David Wright would hit him deep, Melvin Mora, Alex Cora, Bobby Valentine, R.A. Dickey, Dave Malicki, Zach Lutz, J.J. Putz, Chanho Park, and Tony Clark, the pitcher Clem Labine. Karaoke break. Yup. Eight bars of this nonsense. Ugh. Don Clendon and Dennis Cook, Rick Porcello, Jay Hook, Frank Viola, Bill Pakoda, Oliver Perez, Lenny Harris, Frank Tavares, Turk Wendell, Juan Samuel, Doug Mankiewicz, Gary Rasich, Willie Montanez, Jerry Grody, Warren Spahn, how about Gary Keith and Ron, Sid Finch, Ed Lynch, the catcher, Rick Cerrone, Gary Carter, Frank Tanana, shortstop, Raphael Santana, Rich Hill, Tyler Pill, starting pitcher, David Cohn! Alright, I'm tapping out. I had a hell of a rhyme for John Buck, but alas, we're out of time. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, talk to you in 2022, and hopefully we can use current names of Mets players sometime in this song very soon. All due respect to Chan Hope Park and Lenny Harris. Have fun, stay safe. This is Josh Lewin wishing you and yours all the very best. Peace! Peace!